You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, everybody. This is Josh Dorkin with BiggerPockets.com here with yet another great show for you. I've got my co-host, Brandon Turner, with me. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Josh. How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Of course, today we're very excited to bring to you one of the greats in the business, a guy named Frank Gallinelli. Don't know if you guys have heard of him, but Frank is definitely one of the uh, he's one of the smarter smarter kids on the block, so to speak. Uh, Frank's <laughs> founder and CEO of Real Data, uh, created it back in 1981 before most of us were born. Uh, providing uh, the the company provides analysis and presentation software for investors and developers. Frank is also the author of three books: Mastering Real Estate Investment. What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow and 36 Other Key Financial Measures, and, whew, mouthful, Insider Secrets to Financing Your Real Estate Investments, What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Finding and Financing Your Next Deal. Frank is also the author of a ebook, which happens to be a free ebook. You can pick it up right now on Amazon.com, 10 Commandments for Real Estate Investors. For all these books, you guys can find on our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show four. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker & Dunlop's Capital Markets, Research, and Investment Sales Groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. 
Frank is a really good guy. He actually taught back at the uh, Bigger Pockets Summit last year and uh, got great reviews. Uh, he's a graduate of Yale University. He serves as adjunct assistant professor in Columbia University's Master of Science in Real Estate Development Program for Developers. And we are very excited to have him here. Frank Gallinelli, what's going on, man? Welcome aboard. Hey, Josh and Brandon. Great to be with you today. Good to have you. Good to have you. That was quite a mouthful, man. You got three books with really long titles. Yeah, well, I you know I didn't write the uh, the titles of some of those. It was my publisher who did uh, a few of those titles. I wanted to write something called, you know, Sex, Lies, and Real Estate, but they just <laughs> <laughs> so, I, 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 okay, We got what we got. You know, you're a bestseller with, with what you got, and uh, had you gone with the Sex, Lies, and Real Estate, you might have sold a couple more. <laughs> well, they actually, they've sold more than 80,000 copies of, of one of those books, so I guess I, I really shouldn't complain. Maybe they knew what they were doing. I'll give them credit for that. Wow. 80,000 copies. That's, that's pretty substantial. So does that give you a, a big head? Do you feel, you know, you know uh, you're, you're a big shot? Well, not really. You know, I, I do go into bookstores occasionally and, and, and volunteer to sign a copy of my book if they have it on the shelf, and they always <laughs> let me do that. And then, I said, then I always say, oh, by the way, I also wrote Hamlet. <laughs> Can I sign that as well? Because they well, never check to see. So apparently I'm anonymous to the entire world. They don't know who I am. I could be Shakespeare for all they knew. It wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> I, I could see you standing in the aisles of the, of the bookstore waiting for somebody to pick up a copy of your book. and. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll catch you. I'll put that on YouTube when I can show it. <laughs> well, so we are here today to talk about um, income properties, and and you've been you've been teaching and and writing and and working in in that space for a long time, and I, I guess we'll we'll kick this thing off with um, residential versus commercial. Do, you know, wh which do I want to think about as as a new real estate investor? What do you think? Well, you know, I get that I get that question uh, quite a lot, Josh. And um, there's no, there's really not a right answer to that question, but there's probably a best answer for for a particular individual. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I've always seen is that most new investors, because you know, they've they've lived in a house or lived in an apartment, that situation is a little bit more comfortable. It's a little bit more familiar. So they tend to gravitate uh, toward that, the, uh, you know, the residential uh, type of, of income property. Um, the one thing I might be a little bit cautious about is if you're getting into that, watching out for getting into something that's too small. If you're looking at property that's four units or less, you're probably looking at property that's intended for somebody to live in rather than really an investment. So I advise people that if they're going to go with with uh, residential property, look at something a little bit larger. Look at at, at the five units or 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 bigger. Uh, when you get down to making that that basic decision though between residential and commercial, there's a lot of things to think about. Some of them are global, some of them are local. Okay, okay. So so let let's talk about that because I'd say for the vast majority of folks on bigger pockets for example and a, a, a lot of newbies that I've come across over the years they hear commercial they hear 5 plus and they start breaking down into cold sweats so you know what what is it about uh these these multifamilies um that that um people need to know and and not worry about you know the, what what are the big fears that people have and and how can they overcome those fears in in thinking about these properties well, if it's a residential property, uh, it's really in, in in terms of its character, it's a whole, not a whole lot different from the from the from the uh, two four family, except that when you're trying to assess what the property might be worth in terms of a purchase price, you have a lot more concrete um, information to work with because you're going to be valuing that property the same way the bank is valuing the property, and that's based on its income stream. When you get into smaller properties, you know the the one, the two, the you know the multiplexes, that kind of thing. The value really is determined by forces that are outside your control. You're looking at general economic forces that cause house values to rise and fall, which means you don't really have one of the big advantages of owning real estate as a long-term investment. You don't have the ability to create value yourself. People don't buy a single-family house or even a duplex for its ability to produce income. They buy it as a place to live and maybe they get some income besides. 
but people buy the larger properties, the five and, 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 and greater, for their ability to produce income. And you know, in 40 years of dealing with, with, uh, with real estate investors and 10 years of dealing with, with grad students uh, who are learning this sort of thing, I, I think I find the, the one issue that they have the, most diff- the hardest time kind of wrapping their, wrapping their head around is the notion that a property, if it's an investment property, if it's an income-producing property, a true income-producing property, that's value is based on its income stream and not on comparable sales. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so so let's get into that because I think that's that's at the crux of what's going on here. Um, comps, as we know, are are valuations determined based upon prices of properties in and around the area of similar type and and and, st- and style, I guess, so to speak. Um, and income is, is property as per your definition, is going to be a property that we're going to evaluate based solely upon that income stream, correct? Absolutely. And that's the, you know, if once you can really internalize that concept, you're halfway to mastering <laughs> the fine art of income property investing. Because, you know, everybody thinks, for example, oh, location is important. Well, when you're buying a single-family house, location is critically important because the value of that house is going to rise and fall the way the value of your neighbor's houses rises and falls. Okay? When you're buying an income property, you have to look at it through the prism of its income stream. Yeah, location is important. But why is it important? Because good locations can probably generate a greater and more reliable income stream than dicey locations. Okay? Everything really comes down to the income stream. You're going to buy that property not as a place to live in, you're going to buy it for the ability to produce income. I mean, you don't buy a stock because you like the stock certificate, okay? Because it's pretty. Okay? You don't buy an income property because it's a pretty building. The fact that it's a pretty building may contribute to the to its ability to produce income. You know, people like to to rent nice looking buildings as opposed to ugly buildings. But what it really comes down to is the income stream. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I I know when I when I bought my apartment complex, a lot of people thought. Um, you know, they gave me a lot of uh, a hard time for buying one that was in kind of a not a rough location, but it wasn't you know amazing. And everyone always says location, location, location. But you know, I could just point to the income you know that the property was producing and saying, well, this is why you know this matters more to me than location. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying I would go and buy something that's in the ghetto where I'm going to worry about getting shot. But uh, just the fact that the the income was there that that tipped me um, in the way of buying it. And not just passing on it like everyone else seemed to have been at the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, an example like students uh, uh, each year when I when I when I when I when I uh, teach this at Columbia um, is two properties that are right next door to each other, but one has normal leases that you know are going to escalate over time and where there are options and so on, and the other one right next door, a virtually identical building, is locked in to really below market leases and locked in over time. Now, physical problems, physical location, everything about them physically is virtually identical. It's the leases and hence the future income stream that's different. So one is more valuable and a better investment than the other, even though they're physically is the same. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so let's let's talk about that. Uh, the, pr- the valuation of a property is determined based on that income stream. Um, so... Uh, how would somebody determine the value of a property? So you, you've got these two properties next to each other. One one of the properties is deriving X dollars in income, and the other property, which is virtually identical, is bringing in say you know sixty percent of X um, in terms of that uh, income stream. We can then say that the property that is bringing in X is worth a lot more today than that other property. Correct. Yeah, and actually you just hit on a very key point here when you said today because there's really two issues going on when you evaluate potential income property investment. And that is how is it going to be valued today and what do I think of it as an investment? Things don't always mesh perfectly, which is why you really have to be careful in how you how you look at these things. Uh, with the value today, it's a pretty standard approach, the same as your appraiser would do. Okay, you're going to take your gross income. You're going to subtract vacancy loss. You're going to subtract operating expenses. Come up with a net operating income. Apply 
a capitalization rate that you found out is appropriate by going out and talking to some commercial appraisers, and you're going to come up with a value. Now, where you can run off the rails on doing that and where I've seen people get this wrong is that they don't really understand the definitions of those various terms that I just used. They don't really know what is an operating expense and what isn't. And it's important because if you don't follow the same set of definitions as everybody else doing this sort of thing, then you don't come up with a value that squares with what a lender is going to come up with or, or what other investors are, are coming up with. So that's, that's one big issue when you're looking at just the current value property. Gotcha. Okay. And, and that's probably, uh, w- would you say that determining the value that a potential lender is going to be square with, I would assume then that that would be probably one of your most important um, jobs as the owner of these properties or potential owner of one of these properties is to say, you know, this thing is worth X. We know it's worth X. Anybody else, there's not going to be any questions. An appraiser, there's no, you know, the bank, the potential buyers, everybody's going to be in complete agreement that the value of this property today is absolute. Is that true? There are no absolutes in anything, at least of all in real estate. But you at least have reasonable, a reasonable estimate of what the value is when you take this approach. But it is, it's important for, for a number of reasons. And one is the fact that you're probably going to be looking for financing on this deal. And if you're looking for financing, you're going to, be able, you're going to have to be able to, to uh, have a, a, a good understanding of what that property is worth, an understanding that squares with what the bank's appraiser is saying. Okay. Uh, you may need an equity partner in order to do the deal. Once again, you need to be able to show the equity partner that you've got your ducks in a row, that you understand what the property is worth. So you do want to come up with a reasonable estimate of value. Uh, is there some is there some give in those in those kinds of estimates? Of course, because you know they're based on 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 what's going on in a marketplace today, and uh, in terms of capitalization rates that other investors are using, and. Uh, when you look at those sorts of things, when you get that kind of information from an appraiser, the appraiser will tell you, well, probably eight, maybe eight and a half. And so you develop a range for what is a value that you can live with, with that property. But then you've got to go to that next step that I talked about and look at, does it really work for you as an investment property? Gotcha. Um, so you, you ran off a couple terms, and I just want to remind everybody listening that we're going to actually have uh, these terms and, and definitions uh, posted in the show notes, and that'll be at biggerpockets.com slash show four. It's biggerpockets.com slash show four. Um, that, you, you just mentioned uh, equity partners, Frank. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you're you're now talking specifically about the financing of a potential purchase, correct? It could be very important uh, to uh, to have an equity partner in certain circumstances. You know, the conventional wisdom about real estate investing uh, has has been well. It's great to use other people's money. Uh, invest as little cash as your own as you as you possibly can, and and uh, and and finance uh, as much as you can uh, when you when you buy an income property. That can be a good approach in certain circumstances, but can it also be a dangerous approach in other circumstances? For example, in the kind of economy that we've looked at over the last four or five years, where financing has been very difficult to get, it would have been impossible for you to uh, to, to get the financing that you need if you didn't have equity partners. And if you did get it, it would be on terms that would be so onerous that it would eat up your cash flow. And in more normal economic times, still leveraging up your purchase uh, to the to the hilt means that you have a lot of debt service, and when you don't have any skin in the game, chances are your financing is going to be more expensive than if you uh, were looking at a, a lower percentage of the purchase price that you needed to finance. So, what I generally tell people who were who were dealing with this issue is, you know, for example, they say, well, you know. I want to have the whole deal to myself. I don't want to share it with equity partners. And I say, well, listen, would you rather have 100% of a negative cash flow? Or would you rather have 50% of a positive cash flow? Because if you're financing it up too much and you're getting poor terms because you're doing that and you're having enormous debt service because you're doing that, you're minimizing your chances of having a positive cash flow. So maybe it's better for you to share that uh, 
that that purchase with some some equity investors. And maybe just as a side benefit, you might learn something from one of those equity partners because you'll be bringing another person in to, uh, uh, to who may in fact have more experience than you do. You know, I, I couldn't agree more, Frank. I know people give me a, you know, they ask me why I use partners a lot. I use a lot of partners when I when I you know buy and sell real estate, and this is uh, commercial or residential. And I always tell people, well, I'd rather have fifty percent of you know a good deal than have a hundred percent of no deal. And uh, you know, people, I, I don't know. I have a lot of people that say, well, I wouldn't have done that with a partner. I would have just done it by myself. But when I when I started out, just trying to do things by myself, you know, sometimes it worked great. And sometimes it didn't work out so great. And so uh, I, I love going the partnership route just because of that. Uh, but I think, like you said, you know, sometimes it can be dangerous. So you just got to be you know, careful when you're, when you're doing it. So um, I'd actually love to go back to something you mentioned earlier, Frank. Uh, we're talking about increasing the value of property. And I know that's one of the things I absolutely love about commercial property is that, you know, on, on a residential, if you want to increase the value, um, you know, we, you talked about this earlier, there's not a whole lot you can do other than, you know, you know, make it look pretty and make it look like the other ones. Uh, but the thing I love about commercial is that you can, you know, you can add, find ways to add income and that's going to add value. And it adds it at kind of a, um, I don't know what the word is, like exponential rate. You know, like if you can increase your rent $500 a month overall, uh, that's going to increase the total value by, you know, possibly tens of thousands of dollars um, just instantly. And so a good way, um, I mean, I've seen that is when you can find a property with, with rent that's undervalued. You know, if typical rent is in the area is 500 per unit and you find one that everyone's at 400 and you can easily raise it up to five, you know, you can jump the value uh, leaps and bounds overnight. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, I've, since the property's value is based on its income stream, when you raise that income stream, you, by definition, raise its value. Let me give you, though, it, uh, a, a kind of a... Uh, uh, an example that is intuitive. Uh, we'll go back to, to uh, uh, even to residential as well as to commercial. With resident, one of the advantages of residential um, is you have short leases, so you have a lot of turnover, and so you do have an opportunity with residential or with mixed use, a combination of residential and commercial, to uh, to work on building those rents up. One of the things that's kind of counterintuitive is that you'll take a look at a piece of property. And you'll see that uh, it has a uh, uh, low vacancy rate. Okay, Not too many vacancies currently, not too many vacancies in the history. And you say, well, that's a good thing because I don't want vacancies. I want to collect all my rent. One of the things that that tell you, however, is that the vacancy is low because the rents are below market. Yep. So even not that tuned in to exactly what the rents are in that market, a low vacancy history on a particular property could be a tip-off that you have below market rents. And then what you when, then your, your, your plan at that point is, I want to buy this property based on its current income stream. Because you're not going to accept the, the argument from someone selling you the property that you should pay for what it could be. Yep. You want to pay for is so you want to buy that property based on a current income stream, but you know in the back of your mind that that zero vacancy rate, when everybody else in the marketplace may be experiencing a four percent vacancy rate, that the zero interest vacancy rate on this property is your clue that here is an unusual opportunity. You can go right in there now, and with short turnovers, especially on residential leases, that uh, you can you can raise that value. And the other side of that coin is not just raising income also. Um, uh, would you agree like decreasing expenses is also a huge uh, way to improve the value as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely right on that. I, it, the, the euphemism I use is management improvements. Uh, very often people simply don't pay attention to what something is costing. Uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't shop there. I mean, you can't shop property taxes, that's for sure. But you can... <laughs> Well, but you can keep an eye on it every time you get a reassessment. I have successfully gone in and and uh, 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 talked to the assessor after a reassessment, and I said, you know, how did you come up with this? And had him say right back, "Ooh, look at that! They used the wrong cap when huh. they when they when they made your assessment. You're you're right. I'm, we're going to lower your assessment. I, I didn't get an argument. It's just that I 
at the NOI of my property. I looked at what I knew was the prevailing cap rate. This was a commercial property. I looked at what I knew was the prevailing cap rate for properties like that. I went into the assessor and says, you know, you know, A divided by B doesn't equal what, what I've got on my assessment. He says, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I need the, to try that. Yeah. Somebody yeah it sounds the, great. Wrong, the wrong assessment. Same thing with property management. You know, do you do it yourself or do you, or do you farm it out? There, there's, there's, there's you know, an opportunity there sometimes to save some expense there. So actually, Frank, I have a question about uh, that property management stuff. Um, it's something I'm curious about for my own investment, and I know I've seen it on Bigger Pockets quite a bit. It's that, you know, the value of a property is based on the NOI, which we talked about, the net operating income. And obviously, a way to decrease your expenses is to not have property management. So what I'm wondering is, what do you think, if, if a person doesn't have property management, then that makes the value of their property much higher, right? Or do you include what it would normally cost for property management? Uh, so how, how does that work exactly? I think uh, uh, it's not really an enormous difference in the value of the property. The, the pro a typical property management uh, expense uh, would probably be a couple percent of the gross operating income. So there would be some difference, but I don't think it would be a, a, an enormous difference. Many appraisers might indeed plug in a default number for the value of property management. So there's a possibility that they too would, uh, would decrease the NOI slightly by the, uh, by the value of the property management expense that's, that's not really being t you know, taken into account. Um, in terms of whether you should use a property manager or, or, or do yourself, that's another one of those you know, jump ball type of questions. If this is, if, again, if this is residential property and you feel fairly comfortable doing it, uh, that's okay. Uh, however, when you get into a lot of properties or when, perhaps when you get into commercial property where there's a lot of um, um, uh, dealings with, uh, uh, with leasing, for example, and other issues, then it may be, may be prudent to use a professional property manager. What this does bring up, however, is another kind of interesting question about understanding your own particular investment objectives. And preferences. Yeah. This is a this is a question that comes up a lot when uh, we we talk in Colombia in with in my classes. As a matter of fact, I've I've now built a uh, uh, one of my one of my case studies uh, for my students that goes right to the heart of this subject, and I give them a choice between a mixed use property and a standalone retail, such as a standalone pharmacy. And it's kind of an interesting conversation that we have. Because the mixed-use property is one that gives the hands-on investor a lot of opportunity to enhance that cash flow and therefore to enhance the value. On the other hand, the triple net lease property doesn't do that. So the question I ask my students and I tell them right off the bat, there is not a right answer to this question is, which one of these properties would you prefer to purchase and why? Gotcha, gotcha. Let's actually talk real quick about the trip. You mentioned triple net lease. What exactly is that yeah. for those who don't know? Okay, triple net lease is where uh, basically the investor has very little personally to do with operating the property and very little to to have to uh, to have to pay. A triple net lease uh, the it would ha ha occurs with commercial tenants, and it's where the commercial tenant will pay either all of or all of the increase over a base of certain operating expenses. Let me be more specific. Uh, you rent to a uh, that, that freestanding pharmacy that I was talking about, and as part of their rent, we call it additional rent, they will reimburse you, the landlord, for the property taxes, the property insurance, um, if there are any utilities involved such as water that might be getting billed to you the landlord they would reimburse for that they would do all their own maintenance and repairs they would basically uh, do everything uh, the only thing you would do would be to open the envelope where the rent check comes in and the rent check would include these extra amounts to cover those expenses you wouldn't ever let them pay those expenses directly because you wouldn't want to be relying on a third party to pay your property taxes or your property insurance on time so they reimburse you they they really these things are really called expense reimbursements but in a triple net lease situation like that there is no property management expense uh, uh, very often because there's very little for the for the property manager to do 
Also typical of that kind of situation is that your anticipated return on your investment is lower. Okay? If you're getting into that mixed-use property that I was describing where you're hands-on and you're, and you're dealing with tenants that are turning over frequently and so on, you expect a higher return because there's more risk, more uncertainty. That, that commercial lease, that triple net lease I was just talking about is five, ten years. Everything's predefined. You have you are you're not at risk for increase in property taxes because they're paying, they're reimbursing you. You're not at risk for maintenance expense because they're doing it. So it's two different situations. So the interesting conversation that comes up in our students is, which would you prefer and why? Well, I was going to ask on the on the triple net, what is, other than the the lower uh, the 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 lower income, what's the downside? Uh, you know, I, I think people are going to sit here, listen, and say, "Wow, triple net lease sounds awesome. I could go buy a property, not have to, not have to worry about any of these details." And okay, so you know, maybe it'll pay me a little bit less income. Wh- what are we talking about here in terms of that? What is a little bit less uh, in terms of percentages, and what are the other negatives that come with the triple net lease, other than perhaps being stuck with somebody for five, ten years that maybe you don't love personally? <laughs> that is. <laughs> that is certainly one of the one of the possibilities. But even if you even if you even if you love them dearly, you still you're still stuck with them five, ten, even twenty years. And what that means is that if you negotiated a lease where the rent goes up uh, on on average one percent a year, you might not actually raise it every year. It might be you know every three years, every five years, whatever. But you may have locked yourself into a ten or five or a ten or a twenty year deal where suddenly you find yourself in a tremendously hot market. Where if you had been renting these things, uh, if you've been renting the space uh, more frequently, um, uh, you could have you could have done you know, significantly uh, better than that. Other issue, of course, is that if and when you do uh, come upon a vacancy, it may take you a good deal longer to re-rent a property like that than it would, for example, if you're renting apartments in a in a in a in a you know a forty-unit apartment building. Everyone has to live somewhere pretty much. So demand for apartments is a kind of almost a, a universal constant that there's, you know, you can always uh, hope to find a, uh, a tenant for an apartment. Uh, if you've got a, uh, a 10,000 square foot freestanding former pharmacy, your, your issues in terms of finding a replacement tenant overnight are obviously cons- considerably greater. So you have that risk in terms of the rollover of a property like that, that would be that would be greater. Um, one of the one of the uh, uh, issues that uh, I talk to my students about, I said, you know, I'm a lot older than you, so maybe I haven't got quite as much energy and and, and desire to set the world on fire that as you do. So maybe you want to buy that mixed use property, spend all your nights and weekends. Okay, you know, commercial tenants, you know, uh, are are commercial tenants. Uh, but residential tenants don't keep business hours. So if the toilet clogs up at three o'clock in the morning, you're going to get a call. You've got to be willing to be, you know, to, for that for that that home run kind of return, be willing to roll up your sleeves and be and kind of be 24/7 as a real estate investor. You get to be someone who's a little bit uh, longer in the tooth, such as myself. Oh, no comments now, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe what I prefer is the lower return but more predictable return and the more predictable lifestyle that comes from not having to not having to uh, uh, you know deal with the property on a daily basis so i think that goes back to what you said earlier where there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer but there is a best answer for each person and so uh, it definitely um, you know the triple net lease commercial lower rate doesn't necessarily entice me right now when i think about it because I, I like getting my hands a little dirty and i like going out there and working and uh, you know, find ways to uh, leverage my skills and ability to try to get more return. Where I can definitely, in you know, in ten years from now, I hope I'm not still doing that. But <laughs> and you know, it gets to it gets to back to uh, a, a subject again that I that I probably kill a half lecture when I'm when I'm when I'm teaching. It's a, it's the subject of clarity, and I say, you know, you not clear in terms of what you are trying to convey to other people in a transaction, but you have to be clear in your own mind. You have to be clear as to what it is that you want. What are you doing this for? Okay? Are you doing it because you're trying to hit are you you're trying to hit home 
run, and you're trying to, you know, uh, ultimately uh, live off your uh, your success as a real estate investor. Are you doing it for long-term security? Are you doing it to put your kids through college? You have to be clear in terms of your own objectives before you can decide what road you're going to take on these investments. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as quantum fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from Price for Life offer and may be increased. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. I want to jump to uh, these these deals and opportunities. Um, where Where can somebody find... Uh, these these income streams. Where can where can somebody go and find these deals? And and I'm talking outside of say for example LoopNet or one of the traditional com- commercial uh, broker sites uh, online. Are 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 you going to go and find a good deal from just calling a commercial real estate broker? Or you know do you need to know somebody? How does how does somebody how does somebody find a good deal? You know, commercial real estate broker can be a very valuable asset. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, dismiss that idea by any means. One of the things that uh, I've always felt strongly about, and I, I think I even discussed this in my little Ten Commandments book, there, is is uh, operating locally. I know a lot of real estate investment uh, investors, you know, they they try to chase the latest hot market. I recall once I was giving a talk out in. This was uh, in the in the in the late '90s. I'm giving a talk out in Los Angeles and San Diego, and nobody wanted to talk about what I came there to talk about. They all wanted to know if I knew where the best places in Las Vegas were to buy properties. I, said, I wouldn't lost. I wouldn't know Las Vegas if you dropped me, you know, in the middle of it, uh, you know, for out of a, out of a helicopter. Um, I say if you can if you can become expert in your local area, then you'll really know where the cracks in the sidewalk are. Okay. And brokers can help you, but you know, when it comes to commercial property in particular, essentially every building is for sale, whether it's for sale or not. So if you see something that you think has promise, 
there's no reason. It's not like walking up to somebody's house and saying, hi, I really like your house. Would you mind moving out? <laughs> okay. If you, if you essentially make that same proposition to someone who owns a strip shopping center or that, uh, or that retail, uh, that's freestanding pharmacy they talked about or the 40-unit apartment building, they'll say, well, Let's let's have lunch and we can talk about it. We can see what you know. I'll you know I'll be happy to uh, you know with uh, with the proper non-disclosure. I'll 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 show you my rent and expenses and so on, and we can talk. So uh, becoming expert in a local area where you really know everything that's going down, and there's a side benefit to that. You not only know the properties, but you also know the the local politics. You also know the local budgetary process. You know, for example, if you suddenly now got a mayor who wants to, you know, to spend you into oblivion and your property taxes are likely to be going up. Uh, you know, uh, you really have, you have a sense of, of how things are going on, uh, going along. I think you nailed, nailed it right there with, with knowing your market. That's one of those things that, that I, you know, I hear all these, these new investors coming in and, and particularly in, in the residential side who say, you know, what market should I invest in? Where should I go? And and it always goes back to, guys, you need to know where you're at. You need to know your market. Pick one, focus on it, get to know it. If you're doing houses, walk every block in your market, know every house that's for sale, go to every open house, go to, you know, check out these listings until you know it cold. Because when a new house pops up on the market, you know that value. You don't even have to go and run the numbers. You can look at it and you can, you know, you you can figure it out pretty quickly. I would assume on on the commercial uh, on the commercial side, we're we're talking about the same thing. Obviously, you it might might take a little longer, but uh, by being familiar with your market, you can you become an expert. Whereas you know by by flip flopping around and jumping all over the country and and different parts. Um, of of your area, for example, you may not necessarily know the the different goings ons. Is that a word? Yeah. Goings ons. <laughs> yeah, that's like yeah, like attorneys general. Uh, <laughs> but you become a known entity, a known quantity, so that when you're going for financing, you know they've seen you here before because you've done deals locally. Other other property owners who might be thinking of selling their buildings know that you've been buying this kind or that kind. And so when they think of somebody to call, maybe before they call their broker, they may call you. So Frank, do you see uh, that, I guess, commercial real estate is a little more stable nationwide? Uh, And what I mean by that is, like, uh, I probably wouldn't want to go invest in an income property, like a residential income property in Los Angeles or in Seattle or New York City because the prices are so high you can it's really difficult to make a return. Do you find uh, commercial is like that as well? There's hot spots where it just doesn't make sense to invest or is it pretty stable uh, nationwide? You know, the commercial property is always as I said is 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 typically a function of whatever is the prevailing cap rate, whatever is the prevailing rate of return that other investors are willing to accept. And yes, there are markets where you have to ask yourself, what are these people thinking? You know, when they're something at a cap rate of four percent, um, uh, uh, which means you know, cap rate runs uh, the in the opposite from from uh, from value. So as cap rates go down, values go up. So you know, you'll you'll find you'll find areas uh, um, where where the investors are 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 buying at such uh, such high prices. You have to wonder how they can how they can make a return. Uh, so. Uh, uh, like everything else, I think there are inflated markets, commercial or residential. So you have to you have to be conscious of that. And once again, I think if you're if you're trying to, uh, to do this and you're sticking locally, you're you have a much better chance of having a real sense of what is appropriate for the market that you're dealing in, because you'll be seeing properties being bought and sold all around you if you stick within a relatively modest radius. And so you'll know that when somebody has paid a a uh, a price that doesn't seem to make sense to you that maybe that should be your uh, your beltway that shouldn't be your cue to okay now he paid four percent cap rate uh, where everybody else is paying eight um, uh, what which one do I want uh, he may be you know that may be an aberration you can spot an aberration I think more easily when you're dealing in a in a in a restricted uh, area and w- when when somebody's starting out. What 
what do they need to do? I, I, you know, we're, we're talking about all these different things here. And, and I think a lot of folks listening again are, are saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm new to real estate. Uh, how on earth do I get involved in commercial? You know, if I want to buy a house and flip it, I could buy a house and flip it. If I want to be a landlord at a house, great. Um, you know, what do I need to do to get my ducks in a row? Do I need to, to, to put together a, a presentation material? Do I need some kind of package, you know, to, uh, to go out there? Um, and convince a, a lender perhaps to, to lend me money? Where do I find the properties? What do I need to, to, to do to, to set myself up to be, be this uh, you know, budding commercial uh, real estate investor? That's, that's a great question, Josh. And it's really, you know, in, in an attempt to answer that question, that's why I've been teaching for the last, for the last decade. Because basically, you know, people go into this and they don't know where to start. They, they, don't, know the, they don't know what they don't know. Um, so my advice invariably is that you have to start with a bit of education before you actually try to do something you have to understand what it is you're doing and so i urge people in the strongest possible terms to know the vocabulary of this business okay to look to, to know what the terminology means because not only is it necessary in order for you to be able to make a sensible analysis of a property but it's also necessary for you to have any reasonable credibility if you don't get your terms right, you're just not going to make any headway at all as a real estate investor, especially in commercial real estate. You know, not to sound like a suck up here, Frank, but your book, actually, the uh, the 36 other key uh, financial measures, that was the book that taught me almost every real estate term, you know, like the important things like cap rate. Um, I, I actually checked that out from the library when I was first beginning, and uh, that was that was really helpful. So, uh this is kind of cool. I never actually thought I would get to say thank you to the uh, author of that, but thank you. Well, thank God. I'm right now autographing my, 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 my computer monitor for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Unless <laughs> you are a suck-up, Brandon. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's, again, and that's why I wrote that book, because uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the typical real estate investor goes into this, starts off in this, doesn't know the difference between, you know, what is an operating expense and what is not an operating expense. What does net operating income really mean? You know, what are these different terms? And so when they go to try to do a deal, they're inexperienced. They might be wearing a sandwich board saying, you know, I am a newbie, you know, <laughs> take it. Uh, uh, when they go into the bank, um, if they don't know what a debt coverage ratio is and they haven't done their analysis, lender there is going to look at them and say, why are you wasting my time? And if I ever see you walk through that door again, I'm going to tell my secretary I'm busy. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's someone who doesn't do the analysis, for example, and tries to go into an, a, a lender when the analysis would have shown that their debt coverage ratio is 1.0, which means they just barely can pay the mortgage if nothing ever goes wrong. Well, if they had done their analysis, they would have known that they're not getting the loan on those terms. So by walking in there, they haven't accomplished anything. They're still not getting the loan, but they have proven to this lender that they don't know what they're doing. So the basic, starting off with the basic education, getting to know the terminology, you know, every profession has its secret handshakes and real estate investing is no different. So you need to know what these terms mean and how they're used. If you've accomplished that much, you've really, you've really gone more than halfway to, to getting it done. And then, Josh, to answer your question about presentations and whatnot, that falls right in with the same thing. If you make a good presentation, you're saying to the world, the world being the guy on the other side of the transaction, the seller if you're the buyer or the buyer if you're the seller. You're saying it to your equity, potential equity partner. You're saying it to the lender. You're saying, I know how this stuff works. Okay? So we can do business because I clearly know how this stuff works. Let me give you a silly example, but it's one that I think goes to the point. Very often when I ask my students at Columbia, I give them a case study. I say, here's the facts. Okay? Work up, a, work up a pro forma, do an analysis, but you're not allowed to use my company's software. Okay? You got to do it on your own. Let's see what you come up with. So one of the things that I invariably see is that there is no linear logic to the presentation. Things are all over the place. Okay? 
You don't go from expenses to to uh, from income to expenses, debt service, you know, to cash flow and so on. Things are all over the place. If I were, you know, if I were a lender or I were an equity partner, I would be asking, "What are you trying to tell me?" But the one that I find the most amusing is that they will do one of these spreadsheets and all of the numbers. I mean, I'll give them this 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 fifteen million dollar property to analyze. Okay, and all of the dollar amounts have decimal points and cents. And I try to say to them in my most serious professorial voice, <laughs> if this deal doesn't make sense at $15 million, it certainly doesn't make sense at $15 million and 27 cents. <laughs> yep. It would stop with, you know, stop with the distractions. Okay. No investor looks at the loose change. You're announcing to the world I never did this before. This is my first shot. Okay? So, you know, give me the $15 million, but don't forget my 27 cents. <laughs> Presentation matters. Presentation matters. And it gets back to what I said earlier on the subject of clarity. You've got to get your message across because you have an audience that you're talking to when you make a real estate investment presentation. And you have to address that audience. You have to convey the information so that they can understand it and so that they can see your point of view. You might be the seller trying to talk to the buyer. You might be the buyer trying to convince the seller that his price is wrong. But whatever it is, understand that clarity really matters. That's great. That's great. Hey, um, really quick, I, I, I heard you plugging that software of yours and anybody listening could find out uh, how to get there through the the show notes again at biggerpockets.com slash show four. And of course they can find a link to pick up a copy of that book of yours uh, amongst the other books as well. Um, you can spell realdata.com can finally be able to find, figure out the software. Realdata.com. Is that R-E-A-L-D-A-T-A.com, Frank? That's, you spelled it perfect. Thank Unbelievable! You. I, you know, it's amazing. I could actually—they let me do this show. <laughs> <laughs> so we're kind of running out of time here. Um, before we uh, before we go, let's let's talk about a couple really quick questions that I've got for you. One of them is, what is your best piece of advice for uh, for new investors? Do your homework. Okay, that starts with. Learning the terminology, as I as I mentioned before, but then when you get out of your book, out of your classroom, as it were, virtual or otherwise, then do your homework about your market and about the properties that you're looking at. There is no substitute for due diligence, and due diligence is not just about the property, even though that's essential, but it's also about the market in which the property lives. You need to know if employers are moving in or moving out. You need to know if cap rates are going up or going down and what they are currently. You need to know what is the typical vacancy rate for properties such as the one that you're looking at. So due diligence is absolutely essential. If you if you start off by learning the terminology and then learning your market and finally learning your property, then you're following the food chain just perfectly. That's great. Very, very, very good advice. All right, what is your favorite real estate book and no you cannot plug your own book frank <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm being perfectly serious because because i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to have an, a, an idea that got imprinted on my brain which i then put in one of my books and then you know i end up being one of these plagiarism kind of guys so i try not to avoid i try to avoid trying to you know read other people's stuff because they they, they may have an undue influence subconsciously on but there are other good real estate books out there. I, I have no doubt about that. I just try, I just try not to uh, uh, you know, indulge. That's a, that's a fair question. All right. What about business books? What, what, what's your favorite business book? And, and, and don't give me that same BS really, answer, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, I, I guess the, the one I enjoyed the, uh, the most is The Big Short when I was trying to figure out just how we got into the mess that we're in. The uh, I think uh, uh, I believe it's Michael Lewis, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the Big Short was a, a very interesting uh, uh, expose, if you will, on how we got into the subprime mortgage mess and and uh, uh, you know how that all, how that all played out. 
All right, so I got a question, Frank. Uh, you've been around the industry for uh, you know a long time. Uh, I'm not making fun of your age here; it's just true. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, what have you seen? You know, what sets apart the top performers in our industry? You know, the guys that are really crushing it and doing well and and making um, making a you know a future for themselves. What sets them apart from the people who come and go and the students maybe you've seen in your class that just uh, jump in for a few minutes and then leave or uh, you know, try their hand one time and it's not for them. You know, what, what sets those people apart, the top performers? I get, I, you know, I hate to be, uh, uh, sound like a, the proverbial broken record here, but it gets back to my answer to Josh's original question. I think it gets back to education, to taking the time and the trouble to learn how this stuff really works. Not to assume that there are some magic answers, there's some, there's the, you know, there's some, you know, some, a magic wand and some little, you know, dust that you can sprinkle on a, on a deal and you'll, immediately finds that, you know, oh, everything's worth seven times this gross income, uh, uh, a kind of simplicity. But people who take the time and the trouble to actually learn this business, the way you would learn any other profession, those are the ones, I think, who have the leg up. Similarly, those who, who take the trouble to understand that even if they understand it, if they understand the property and how it work, that they don't live in the back they do have to deal with other people, buyers, sellers, equity investors, lenders, partners, all this sort of thing. And in order to do that, they have to they have to really work at at the other part of my previous answer to Josh's question, the issue of clarity, of being able to make their point of view understood, to to understand uh, who their audience is and what it is they're trying to say. The people who take the time to do this, to learn how it really works. Then to analyze the property and to make an effective presentation to a third party where that presentation is geared to the interests of the third party. You know, a lender is, is concerned about certain things. An equity partner might be concerned about some other things. So understanding where it is you're going, understanding your objectives in making the deal and, and trying to put the deal together, that's what sets the winners apart from the losers, I think. Oh, that's great. That's great. Hey, Frank, what do you what do you do for fun, man? What's uh, I'm sure you've got a hobby other than writing books, or do you just sit and write books all day? <laughs> that's that's mostly what I do. But you know, for for a real time, I sit around and I wait for you to call. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad you did today. You just made my whole day, guys. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I took it out on a bicycle. And and just and just ride and not to and not to uh, uh, you know have my cell phone turned off and not have anybody uh, call me not even you Josh. <laughs> that's <Love> great. <laughs> my and, and and if there's anything else, I'd love to play with my grandkids. Oh, that's great. That's great. Hey, so listen, this was fantastic. I I think we've covered a ton of really really good information here and and really just starting to explore a lot of these topics. Um, and, and of course, uh, listeners can, can follow, follow you online. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you have like Twitter and Facebook accounts and all that stuff. Do you want to share any of that or, or, or not? Yeah, all that good stuff. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, we've got a Facebook thing. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't pay as much attention to that one as I should, but, uh, I probably, I probably encounter more people on LinkedIn. Just look me up by my name and you'll find me there. Of course, Frank is also on Bigger Pockets, where he answers questions on our forums at biggerpockets.com/forums. And again, uh, you can find out anything about today's show. Uh, we're going to have links to to Frank's uh, various social profiles, to his website, to his books, uh, and to some of the concepts and terms and things that we've talked about today at biggerpockets.com/show4. Frank, thank you so much for coming on on the show. We really appreciate it, and uh, I I know I'm very much looking forward to uh, having you on once again in the future. Thanks, guys. It's been been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Hey, everyone. That was our show with best-selling author Frank Gallinelli. We really, really hope that you guys learned a lot about commercial real estate today, and uh, hopefully you'll end up using it to build wealth for your future. Of course, come check out the show notes at www.biggerpockets.com slash show four and leave us or Frank a comment. Also, of course, if you haven't yet signed up for a free biggerpockets.com membership, you can do that at www.biggerpockets.com. And finally, 
please do not forget to leave us a review in iTunes. This is really important, guys. It helps us get more visibility for the show. So definitely be sure to check it out and leave us a review over at iTunes. Of course, if you found the show helpful, um, make sure to also subscribe to the show on iTunes as well. Finally, come check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash biggerpockets. This is Josh Dorkin signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.